This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. From the pit of despair to the pinnacle of success, our survey of Joseph's life has been exhilarating and incredible and exhausting at times. We boarded Joseph's biography back in Genesis chapter 37 when he was just a 17-year-old dreamer of a teenager, and we've been on a non-stop roller coaster ride ever since. God's sovereignty is a major theme throughout the life of Joseph, and Joseph himself encourages us to interpret uh, his life in light of God's providence. I just have a quick look at Genesis 45 verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. You sold me into slavery, but don't worry about it. God is sovereign and he had a purpose in every turn of events. He's the one who sent me here. And his plan is bigger and better than all of ours put together. He is the God of the impossible. And you know, it's not over yet. His story isn't over yet. As we visit Joseph and his family for the last time now, 17 years have passed since Jacob and his favorite son Joseph were reunited with the rest of Joseph's brothers in Egypt. Jacob is now 147 years old and he's tired. It's a good tired though. He's back with Joseph where he wanted, him, where he wanted to be and his tiny nation is, is experiencing a baby boom. Let's turn to Genesis 47 this morning. Genesis 47, if you have your Bible or Bible app, please turn to that passage with me and down to verse 27 where it says, Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So there's your baby boom. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. So Jacob is now 147 years old and he's getting ready to die. Down to verse 29. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, Joseph said. Swear to me, he said. And then Joseph swore to him, and Israel, or Jacob, worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. In a touching exchange here, Joseph gives his word to his father, and Jacob gives his son Joseph the lasting memory of a father who worshipped God. That's pretty sweet. (laughs) He leaned on the top of his staff and worshipped, and his son Joseph was right there to witness it. Dads, our kids and our grandkids need to see us reading the Bible. They need to see us praying. They need to see us worshiping the Lord, and they'll follow suit, Lord willing. 
Crossing over into Genesis 49, we see the dying patriarch Jacob gathering all of his sons to make specific predictions about each and every one of them. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, and so on. He gathers them all together and he gives them a precise word. He gives a precise word to each one of his sons. The Bible says then, at verse 33, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Gathered to his people. What a wonderful thought. Great way to think about death. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're gathered to your people. You're gathered to the rest of those believers who trust in Jesus and are in heaven. Joseph was right there when his father died. And you know, we've heard some terrible stories of loved ones who have died during this coronavirus pandemic, and no one, no one in their family could be with them when they passed from this life. That's just a terrible, awful thing. But Joseph was able to be there that day when his father passed away, when he went into the presence of God. Genesis 50, verses 1 and 2. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. He was able to express his love and compassion to his father. Three outstanding events take place in the twilight years of Joseph's life. And I want to look at these three events with you this morning. The first important event takes place when Joseph buries his father. We see this in chapter 50, verses 4, 5, and 6. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, please speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I'm about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now, let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father, as he made you swear to do. So with Pharaoh's permission, Joseph goes up with a very large company of chariots and horsemen to the cave of Machpelah in Canaan and, and buries his father there. So going back to Canaan was, to bury his father was, was more than convenience. It was more than just a tradition. Going back to Canaan to bury Jacob was actually a pledge that they would all one day return, that the nation of Israel would come back to the land that had been promised to Abraham and Sarah. You see, the God of the impossible is a God who keeps his promises. And the God of the impossible would lead them out of Egypt and he would lead them back to the land of promise someday because he is a covenant-keeping God. And again, folks, this is pointing us to Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can lead us home. The second major event in the closing moments of Joseph's life, this story, is when Joseph forgives his brothers. We see this taking place in bits and pieces along the way, but, but here it all comes together beautifully and powerfully. In the wake of Jacob's death, Joseph's brothers feel something more than grief. They feel something more than the loss of their father. They're, they're, I think they're feeling guilty. And, and I think they are afraid. They're fearful. Just look at verse 15. Genesis 50, verse 15. 
When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. So the brothers fear Joseph's wrath. And perhaps they should. I mean, they, they, they sold their brother into slavery. They wanted him dead. They assumed that he would be angry with them now that the father was gone. Jacob is dead. After their father died, they thought that perhaps Joseph would take uh, revenge and, 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 and pay them back for all the bad things they had done to him. According to verse 18, they even throw themselves at Joseph's feet, begging for mercy and forgiveness. They were trying to win his favor and win his mercy. They fall down before him. But verse 17 tells us that Joseph was not impressed by that. He wasn't moved by that. But he wept when he heard. He wept when they fell down before him. Why? Because Joseph had already forgiven his brothers. They couldn't accept it. They couldn't believe it, but he had already forgiven them. He doesn't want to punish them. He doesn't want retribution. He doesn't want revenge or payback. He just wants his family back. He just wants his family to live at peace once again. And Joseph took the first step to forgive his brothers. That's important. Joseph took the first step to forgive. They sold him into slavery. They took away his family heritage, but he's the one who forgives. He's not interested in settling the score. He's not bitter or resentful. He quickly eases their fears with these words of forgiveness and grace. Listen to this. Just, 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 just listen to this. Genesis 50, verse 19. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? I can't judge anyone. It's not my place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. <laughs> really? After all they had done to him, he comforts them and speaks kindly to them? Folks, he's able to forgive his brothers because he too has experienced the forgiveness of God. He too has experienced deeply the sovereignty of God in his life. He sees what God has done. He's, he's a witness to the faithfulness and sovereignty of God. He's able to forgive because he believes in the God of the impossible who always has a purpose or a reason for everything he does. When Shannon Etheridge was just 16 years old, an act of forgiveness and love changed her life forever. On her way to high school one day, driving her parents' car, Shannon Etheridge ran over a woman named Marjorie who was riding her bicycle on a country road. Marjorie died as a result, and Shannon Etheridge, who was found completely at fault by police, was consumed by guilt. 
She tried to commit suicide two or three times, but was unsuccessful. She never took her life in the end because of the forgiving response of Gary. Gary was the husband of Marjorie, the woman that she ran over and killed. Gary forgave this 16-year-old young lady and asked the courts to drop all the charges against her. Instead, he just asked Shannon if she would, she would try to live, walk in the godly footsteps of his, hus of, of his wife Marjorie. She too was a Christian, a follower of Jesus. You can't let this ruin your life, Gary told her. God wants to strengthen you through this. Well, today, partly because of Gary's forgiveness and partly because of the resurrection power of Jesus, Shannon Etheridge is a disciple of Jesus Christ. She's a follower of Jesus and the best-selling author of 22 books, including Every Girl's Battle and Every Woman's Battle, God has given her a powerful and effective teaching ministry. You see, God is sovereign, and God took those horrific circumstances and brought about good. God is sovereign, and God is a purpose, a reason behind everything he does. God meant it for good. What appears to us to be evil and senseless can become meaningful and purposeful and good in the hands of our Father. Well, the third and final slice of Joseph's journey that we want to take a look at this morning is when Joseph actually completes his life, when he finishes the race that is set before him. Um, how his family and friends must have enjoyed the pleasure of his company at this stage of his life. Instead of nursing old, bitter wounds, Joseph freely extended grace and forgiveness from his heart. And that's the kind of person you, you want to be around, right? You want to be around that kind of person. Genesis 50, verse 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What his brothers did to him was incredibly painful. But God's goodness overcame his pain. Seven years ago, God gave me this exact verse. Genesis 50, verse 20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Our lives had been ripped apart by a few jealous, power-hungry people who seemed to be caught in the vice grips of sin. Those few convinced a few others to go along, and before we knew it, there was blood in the water, and the sharks were circling our boat. They, they hurt us deeply. But, but even worse, they, they wounded our, our kids. And that left me angry and longing for revenge. I'm telling you, I wanted to get even. It was just, it was a very dark time in my life. And then Jesus dropped a bomb on my life that came disguised as a verse of scripture. And it was this, Genesis 50 verse 20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph's brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph led by grace, he spoke by grace, and he forgave by grace. And oh, I, I needed to, to, to relearn those lessons all over again. It was like God took me back 
to a spiritual kindergarten to help me relearn those important lessons so he could teach me again these basic life lessons and these, these important lessons of, of, of walking with God. You meant it for evil, but God, my Father, meant it for good. God's grace enabled Joseph to forgive his brothers for wanting him dead. God's grace enabled Joseph to live out the rest of his life with joy. Oh, I want that. I want to live out the rest of my life with joy, don't you? You, you, you don't want to be a grumpy, unforgiving person in your old age. No. You don't want to be an unloving, vindictive person in your twilight years, do you? No, of course not. Nobody wants that. So, you need to understand that only God's grace can empower you to forgive others who have hurt you. You need the grace of God for that. It just doesn't come naturally. That kind of forgiveness doesn't just bubble up out of your, out of your stomach. You need the grace of God. They may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, and His grace is sufficient. In our sorrow and suffering, in the agony and distress, God is calling us to trust him. Look what happens next in verses 22 and 23. Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations of descendants. <laughs> How fun is that? You see, in his twilight years, God's grace enabled Joseph to celebrate his role as a father and grandfather and great-grandfather to many children. He lived out the rest of his life and he enjoyed his twilight years because he was able, by the power and grace of God, to forgive those who had sinned against him. Friends, if, if, if we don't forgive others, if we don't forgive the people who have hurt us and wounded us, we will end up in a swamp and they win all over again. We will end up in a swamp bitter and complaining for the rest of our days. I don't want to go out like that and I know you don't either. Joseph's last recorded words were, were like a benediction of grace to his brothers, reminding them of God's faithfulness and tenderness. Look at verses 24 and 26. Genesis 50, 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, who is their father. And so Joseph died being 110 years old. Wow. I don't know about you, but I want to live like that, and I, I want to die like that, full of faith, hope, and love, overflowing with grace, forgiveness, and joy. That's how I want to live the rest of my life. We're saved by grace, yes. Grace is operative in our salvation, but we must continue to live by grace every single day of our lives. It's the gift of God. A fruit of this salvation will be a heart that is governed by the posture of forgiveness, which then leads to the practice of forgiveness on a daily basis. It, it, it flows out of the same grace that saves us, the grace to forgive. When we forgive others, 
who have wronged us, we proclaim the redemptive grace of God in a, in a powerful way. We, we, we actually put the cross of Jesus Christ on display for, for all to see. When we forgive others who've hurt us, we, we are proclaiming the gospel of God, the grace of God. That's pretty strong motivation to forgive. I, I don't forgive others simply to, to feel better. Although that's, that's often a fringe benefit, isn't it? It feels good to forgive other people. But I forgive others primarily to obey my heavenly Father, to, to, to put the gospel on display, to exalt the name of Jesus, to bring glory to God. That's why we forgive. Are you ready to do that this morning? As I've been preaching, God has probably brought a face or a name to mind, maybe two or three or, or ten, I don't know. That's no accident, that's the Holy Spirit of God reminding you, nudging you again that you, you have people in your life that you need to forgive. And there may be more than one or two. So are you ready to put the gospel on display this morning by extending forgiveness to these people? Are you? On the other hand, you might be one of Joseph's brothers, one of those people who have sinned against others, who've hurt others, who, who, who've meant evil toward others, and, and, and you've hurt someone, you've never apologized, you've, you've never said you were sorry, you've never repented of your sin. Are you ready to put the gospel into action by asking for their forgiveness? Come to the altar, the altar of grace. Come to the altar, all of you. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My friends, that's the basis, that's the source of all forgiveness, the precious blood of Jesus. You, you can do this, you can be forgiven, and you can extend forgiveness to others because Jesus shed his blood and opened up a new and living way for us, the way of grace and mercy and kindness and favor. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, dear Father in heaven, we, we come to you this morning in the powerful, strong, mighty name of Jesus who shed his blood for our redemption and our forgiveness and for the strength to forgive others who sin against us. Lord, we, we fall short Every day, every day we fall short of the glory of God in thought and word and deed. But you have made provision for us in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Indeed, when we confess our sins and, and ask for your forgiveness, we, we simply tap into the inexhaustible grace that is available in the cross of Christ. Nothing compares with the treasures that we've received in the gospel. And Lord, right now we confess how much we take your forgiveness for granted. Lord, hear our cry. Hear our cry. Come, Holy Spirit. Strengthen our hearts with the grace of God. A apply the power of the gospel to our hearts in this very minute. As we ponder the riches of your grace, Lord, we repent of any speck of un unforgiving spirit in our hearts. We repent this morning and we abandon ourselves to the riches of the gospel. You must help us, though, Jesus. 
Without you, we have no power, no ability, no desire to forgive those who've sinned against us, and, and no desire to make it right with the people that we've hurt. So we need you, Lord Jesus. We cannot and we will not do this on our own. We need you, Jesus. We want to forgive from the heart as you have forgiven us from your heart, Father. In Jesus' perfect and holy name we pray. Amen.